Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Carl Smallwood. I'm a past president of the National Conference of Bar Presidents and a past president of Columbus Bar Association, and I currently am the director of the Divided Community Project at the Moritz College of Law at The Ohio State University. I'll be the host for this episode, which is being recorded right after the National Conference of Bar Presidents 2022 virtual annual meeting. As a national network, NCBP brings together current and past leaders of state, metropolitan, and affinity bar associations to share ideas about how to address critical issues facing the legal profession. Joining me today, we have two guests, Chief Justice Bridget McCormick from the Michigan State Supreme Court and Stephen Younger from New York State. And I would like to welcome them to the show and allow them to introduce themselves and tell us just a little bit about themselves. So Justice McCormick, why don't we start with you, if you don't mind, Chief Justice McCormick, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely, and it's great to see you, Carl. Great to have this conversation with you and with Stephen. Um, I am Bridget McCormick. I'm the Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court. Um, I've served on the court since January 2013. I've been the chief since January 2019, which means I've been chief through COVID. Um, and we've had, uh, like everybody else, the opportunity to learn a whole lot and uh, do a lot of things differently. Um, and we've spent a lot of it focused on whether this is a moment where we can really think about access to justice and new ways of, of doing business in our profession to make a real difference once and for all. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Justice McCormick. And I'll, I'll add, I know that you're on the, the governing council of the American Bar Association Center for Innovation. So you're aware of many of the changes that are going on around the country. And I will perhaps get to touch on that as well during our conversation. Absolutely. Stephen, uh, please, uh, would you introduce yourself to our audience? And thank you, Carl. And thank you to NCBP uh, for all that you do. Uh, I'm a commercial litigator with Foley Hoag in New York. Um, I'm a past president of the New York State Bar, I'm New York's representative to the ABA. And like Judge McCormick, I have a passion for justice and particularly for access to justice. I grew up a kid on the Lower East Side of Manhattan before it was popular. My parents were both ministers and they helped more people than I could ever help in my career. So I think we all share that passion for helping people who don't have a lawyer. Well, thank you, Stephen, and, and thank you for joining us for this conversation. The topic that we discussed at the National Conference for Bar Presidents uh, meeting was balancing regulatory innovation and core values. Can we have it all? And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you're joining us today to talk about the tension between those two concepts, regulatory innovation and core values, as they exist in the legal system in the U.S. in 2022. And why don't we get started as, as we try to raise awareness around these issues. Justice McCormick, you, you referred to the issue of access to justice as perhaps the driving force for some of the innovation that's being undertaken now around the country. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. 
But let me just step back for a minute and say um, we should also keep thinking about whether there is the tension between core values and uh, no innovation, because what we have now um, isn't really getting it done. Um, we, you know, we've been talking about the access to justice gap my entire career and everybody else's entire career, and I know a lot of lawyers who became lawyers because they cared about um, equal access to justice. Um, I believe Steve is one of them. Um, and um, I think most people are, to be honest with you. And, and there have been really, I think, significant innovations over the years that have made somewhat of a difference around the access to justice gap, but it hasn't really changed the fundamental the fundamentals of that problem. If you look at the most recent data on um, uh, civil legal problems, seven out of 10 or eight out of 10 Americans have a civil legal problem that they can't afford help uh, from a lawyer to navigate. Um, and uh, most of them end up uh, trying to navigate those problems on their own or giving up. Um, and that's a that's a cost to the legal system, as I've said uh, before. And I said on the program, um, all we have in the justice system, which is really the operating system of our society, is public public confidence. Like the rule of law is just a set of ideas that depends on everybody's collective buy into it. Um, and if there is a significant number of our neighbors that are excluded from feeling like they have access to fair outcomes to the same kinds of problems that everybody else has, um, it's a cost to, to, to public confidence. Um, and so it seems to me that we need a more disruptive model. We need some um, bigger ideas uh, to think about how we can make sure everybody has at least access to information to be able to um, have the same um, fair shot at navigating their civil legal problems if we care about the future of our profession um, and beyond the future of profession, the, the, the future health of our communities, our states, um, in our country. Um, I can say a lot more, but it's a short podcast and I want to make sure Steve gets to say a lot because he has some pretty important things to say. He does. And, and I, I would like to um, give Steve a chance to uh, speak to that. Uh, Steve, and I know you care about justice as well. So why don't we get that? Why don't we get that agreement uh, sort of on the record? And then we'll go into some parts where perhaps you have different views of how to address the access to justice gap. And I agree with Judge McCormick. This is the biggest problem and has been the biggest problem for decades. I don't agree that there hasn't been innovation. Um, obviously, the contingent fee has been out there for a long time, not, not so accepted elsewhere. We have much more use of litigation finance that's helped people that couldn't um, get access to justice get, get into the courts. But in New York, we're doing some really innovative things. We have a civil right to counsel in New York for landlord-tenant cases, for many foreclosure cases. I wish we had it more. This is a societal problem. You know, we don't say to doctors, you have to provide health insurance. Lawyers do more pro bono than any other profession, but it's not enough. Um, we have things in New York, like our Navigator program, we have our, which helps people navigate the court system when they can't find a lawyer, particularly in our family courts. We have our Lyft program where you can get access to legal forms, and a lawyer will help you fill them out. I think there are several areas, though, where lawyers just aren't the answer. Things like debt collection, you know, the, the standard run-of-the-mill case where you're against a company and 99% of the plaintiffs are represented by, by lawyers and 99% of the defendants are not. And those are cases that lawyers are not going to go into 
And I wish we had more funding for our legal services groups. Um, but that's the area where I think it's we need the most help. Well, Justice McCormick, let me, let me ask. Uh, Stephen has mentioned a number of things that, that are, I think, innovative in the contingent fee and then a number of kinds of programs that are designed to create greater access to justice. But even with those, uh, there's still this great unmet need, legal need. I mean, in, in domestic relations and other kinds of cases, the, the number of people who are self-represented is staggering. That's just the number of people that, that can figure out where to show up to try and navigate those problems. There's a whole, you know, we're, we, we lawyers and judges are, you know, as, as Becky Sandifer says, um, dealing with the, the part of the iceberg that's sticking out of the water. There's a whole big part of it under the water where people are navigating civil legal problems and, and, and we don't see them. You know, access to justice is one of these wicked problems. And, and by wicked problem, I mean one of those that a lot of it is invisible and uh, we're all busy with emergencies every day anyway, and we're busy doing a lot already. And I agree with Steve about all the innovations he mentioned. I think those are all excellent, but it hasn't changed the fundamentals. We have not had an access to justice Uber. We haven't had an access to justice Amazon. Um, that hasn't happened yet. I don't know what it is. I just know that um, all of the innovations we've seen that Steve listed, and I completely agree with him, um, the contingency fee, most of all, is a really important um, step forward in getting justice for at least um, one category of people who need it. But we need more. And, and we're, in this, we're, in, we're in this moment right now where so much has changed, and we lawyers have learned that we can innovate, and which I know they told us in law school we can't, and we can collaborate with other professions. What if it turns out we can also even collect data and evidence and try and figure out how to use that data and evidence um, to make a significant difference for all of the people who navigate problems without lawyers? That's one of the things New York has supported is collecting data and evidence. But I think where people sort of draw a red line is having tech companies take over our legal profession, having you know private equity take over our legal profession. Arizona and Utah are experimenting with it. And if you look at the average case, it's a wealth manager, it's an investment manager, it's an accountant. It's not solving the access to justice problem. I think if there was an app that allowed my associates to do pro bono and get into court much more quickly, they would be happy to do that. And that's the kind of innovation I would love to see. Well, and I, I know that some states are experimenting with things that really, really, I, I think, get to what you've described as red lines, uh, non-lawyer ownership of um, law practices, uh, you know, those types of things. Let me ask this question, Stephen, because uh, you've, you've identified that some of the kinds of work that some of these entities are interested in undertaking is, is frankly more lucrative. Would you expect that they might be better able to provide greater access to justice at, uh, for the you know, more run-of-the-mill or mundane uh, cases, or is it your expectation that they will never do so? My, my concern is having Walmart taking over legal services isn't the answer. Walmart can't be disbarred. Walmart hasn't taken an ethics exam, and they really don't care about helping people in pro bono. They care about delivering a product. And I don't think that's the answer, nor is it the answer to have Amazon do it. Um, I do think that there are areas where lawyers are not providing those services 
where we can have in a supervised way non-lawyers do the work. And I think, unfortunately, we lawyers don't use our paralegals enough. But I think the concern is is having it done in a way that doesn't basically put lawyers out of business and basically just share profits so that it's basically a profit-making enterprise. Um, I'm all for having creative solutions to help people who can't find a lawyer. But to have this the solution that Arizona and Utah are doing, that's that's not solving the problem because it's just bringing private enterprise, which is not bound by our code of ethics, into the legal system. You know, I'm not I'm not in either Arizona or Utah, and I know Chief Justice McCormick is not either. Uh, Chief Justice McCormick, do you have any um, <clears throat> you know insight or or can we put a little bit more of a, a parameter around? the innovation that's occurring in Arizona and Utah, I, I think it's fairly recent. Uh, can you speak to that at all? What I can say is um, the questions Steve raises are important questions and, and we would want to know the answers to them before deciding what what was a good path forward. But but in Arizona and in Utah, um, you know, Utah's sandbox is basically a huge pilot program, but one where they can collect data and evaluate um, whether consumers are harmed or the public is harmed um, in the way that I share Steve's concerns um, that we want to avoid. You know, we didn't get where we are. We, we didn't get to the system we've arrived at, that legal education system, the licensure system, um, based on evidence. That's not why we're here. Um, if we if we were here based on evidence, we probably would have a different licensure model. We probably would have a different education model. Um, and in fact, uh, those things are um, in play as well right now. Um, you know, in in the 1930s, medicine was still a profession based on anecdote. Um, and it was literally in the 1930s when um, this seems hard to imagine right now, right? You, can you imagine going to your doctor and saying, I don't know, what do you feel like the best treatment for me would be? Don't look it up. Don't go see what the studies say. Just like, tell me what it feels like in your gut. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? But that was, that actually was the way medicine um, behaved. That was the way that field worked until the 1930s. And then it occurred to uh, leaders in the profession that mm, probably there's like data and evidence that might help at least some of these judgments. Of course, even doctors have to make some judgments, you know, when there is no uh, clear evidence or data. Um, but to the extent you can use evidence and data to make better decisions, let's use it. We are not where we are based on evidence and data. Why not collect that evidence and data to figure out if there are um, bigger innovations that can bring us closer to equal access to justice? Yeah, and the ABA supported exactly that in the last time we talked about it. And I think that today's world, big data can help us in so many ways understand what's going on in our courts, what's going on with legal services in ways that we never imagined. Well, I know experimentation has been taking place in, in this country for years. And so there are some experiments that have, it seems, been conducted, for example, in Washington State, where the Triple uh, LT program was in place for a number of years. And I, as I understand it now, uh, is going to be discontinued. Um, how long is the, do we know how long the programs in Arizona or Utah are likely to run until we have a better idea of their efficacy and their compliance with what we would view as the core values? 
I think that's hard to tell. And by the way, I would be measuring something different than Judge McCormick measured. I don't think you can really measure harm to the consumer. It's a really tough thing. I mean, we have so many lawyers who mistreat clients and never result in a bar complaint. What we really want to measure is, is this solving access to justice? That's measurable. What are the services? Are they actually providing services that are helping people that couldn't otherwise get a lawyer? Because if you look at what's going on in Arizona and Utah, sadly, most of it is things that lawyers are already doing. Wealth management, trust and estates, accounting mixed with investment advice, you know, technology and the law. Lots of lawyers are doing that. It's not about debt collection and the things where people can't find a lawyer. I mean, I don't know many private equity firms that want to take over my legal aid society in New York. It's just not, not happening. And that's why I think we need other innovative solutions that will solve that problem. Now, for, for some of our listeners out there, whether they are bar leaders or whether they are practicing lawyers, whether they are consumers of legal services um, uh, or whether they are scholars uh, looking at this area, uh, where can they go for more information about the kind of innovation that is taking place around the country? Well, I would start with the ABA Center for Innovation's website. Um, that's a great place uh, that collects a lot of the innovations that are going on around the country. And then Every state Supreme Court is the regulator of um, its state bar, and um, lots of those websites are pretty helpful in seeing what innovations are happening in each state. Certainly, Utah and Arizona are good places to start. In Michigan, I would I would send you to the Justice for All um, uh, page on our state Supreme Court website. That's where we are um, trying to think about innovative ways to to work on access to justice in our own in our own state. Um, Steve has probably has some other ideas. Yeah, I would also look at the materials for the last NCBP program that this is recording, because I think there were a lot of very rich uh, materials. And then I just have a conversation with your chief judge, with your legal aid society, with people who are on the front lines of this issue, because it's probably the most important issue we're facing in the legal system right now. Well, thank you both very much. I, I, I think you're exactly right, Stephen, in saying this is one of the most important issues we are facing right now. And as Justice McCormick mentioned, it's one we've been facing for many years. The access to justice gap has existed since I started practicing law 40 years ago. Uh, it remains today. Uh, it's hard to judge whether it has been impacted or diminished by by the innovations we've undertaken. But certainly, it's a concern to any practicing lawyer or anyone concerned with the rule of law. Uh, so I want to thank you both for participating in this conversation. I would encourage our listeners to ask questions, to get more information about this subject, because it impacts how uh, legal services may be delivered in your community. Let me thank uh, my two guests and thank you for tuning in. Please visit uh, ncbp.org which is the website for the National Conference of Bar Presidents. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.